really excited about speaking about encouragement this morning. And uh, the topic is encouragement and community as we have, since the first of the year, been involved in talking about the community of God's believers, the body of Christ. And encouragement is something that, let's just say, is a need whenever you speak on it. Muhammad Ali, famous boxer, was asked a question on one occasion, what was the greatest lesson that he had ever learned in his lifetime? He told the story of his heavyweight title bout against Sonny Liston way back in 1964. He said, quote, Liston was the strongest man I had ever fought. Now that's quite a statement. Every time I hit him, it hurt me worse than it did him. I gave him everything I had. When the sixth round ended, I was completely spent. I couldn't even raise my arms. I couldn't even stand to go back into the ring. I'm going home, I told my trainer, Angela Dundee. I'm not going back in there. Upon hearing this, his trainer, Dundee, demanded that Ali get ready to go in. Ali still refused to finish the fight. The bell rang, and Ali did not leave his seat. Dundee, as Ali tells it, actually pushed him off the stool and shouted into his ear, Get in there! And don't come out until you're the heavyweight champion of the world! Ali struggled to his feet. Liston didn't have to. But at the end of that fight, Muhammad Ali then Cassius Clay was the new heavyweight champion of the world. The greatest lesson I've learned, Ali said, is to have someone pushing you and making you do things you don't think you can do. This morning I want to deepen your convictions of how essential encouragement is to God's community. Muhammad Ali's trainer, he understood something many, I believe, even in our group here, don't completely grasp. And that is discouragement, discouragement literally has the power to kill. Encouragement, on the other hand, 
good encouragement has the power to give life. You see, we have the power to kill or to give life. Proverbs 18.21 reminds us of just that. It says, what you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. What you say can preserve life, God says, or destroy it. You must accept those consequences of your words. You know, Satan's words are aimed to destroy life. They, I think we all agree, are the killing kind. And maybe when you go up spiritually against Satan, you feel a little bit like Ali did. Every time I hit him, it hurts me worse than it did him. I gave him everything I had. And I was completely spent by the sixth round. I couldn't even raise my arms. You see, Satan's got his Ph.D. in the science of discouragement. His words are the killing kind, the power to kill. He says things like this with his right hook. You thought you were changing. This proves you're not. You might as well just give up. He's got a left hook. The left hook is pretty deadly. You've given up a lot to be a Christian. Look at all you're missing out on. You ever fallen sucker to that left hook? You've been given to a lot of people for a long time. You need to pull back a little bit. Look out for yourself. Or how about this one? This new self just isn't you. You're just doing it because others want you to. Why do you want to invite them? They're not open. He'll never graduate. It's a good chance it's cancer. She's fighting your request for joint custody. You'll hear all kinds of Satan's killing words. And there's one thing they all have in common, friends. Really, there's two things. One is they're all meant to discourage you. And two, and even more scary, they're all tailor-made just for you. He's trained for your fight. And he's a worthy opponent. You know, if we listen to those discouraging words, and we allow them to, they can have the power of spiritual death in our life. 
to talk about that this morning. What I want to talk about is encouragement. The complete opposite. Because I see that the way God counters it is through the power of life, through encouragement. The tongue also has the power to give life. The scriptures say that we can preserve life through encouraging and building up one another. That's why scriptures like 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11 says, Encourage each other and give each other strength just as you are now doing. I don't know about you, but when I come and meet with the assembly of God's people, I'm strengthened. I can't even imagine trying to live the Christian life and not have the body of Christ. And you know what? Neither can God. Imagine that for you. You know, in all the Bible... There is no better example of this attribute of encouragement than Joseph. Now, when I say Joseph, you may wonder who I mean. You know, if I said the name Eldrick Woods, well, it probably doesn't ring a bell. Because you've never heard him called anything but Tiger Woods. And if I had a name like Eldrick, I'd be called Tiger too. I'm just saying. When I say the name Joseph, you may think of some of the great Josephs in the Bible, certainly the great Old Testament character. You may think of the husband of Mary in the New Testament. You look at uh, all the Josephs, and we're going to look at someone who so excelled in encouragement that the apostles actually nicknamed him Barnabas. You see, his real name was Joseph, but they said, no, we're, we're going to give you a nickname. Son of Encouragement, which is what the Greek means for Barnabas. Son of Encouragement. And so this morning, let's go on a journey together, and let's look at one of the greatest encouragers in all of Scripture. Someone who the apostles even said, whoa, we're taken back by this brother's ability to encourage and spur on others. And let's think about how important these attributes are as we think about the spiritual battle and the discouragement that no doubt we face weekly in our spiritual lives. The first thing I want to look at as I look at Barnabas is point number one, we encourage others by sharing what we have. We can actually encourage others by having a heart to share what we have. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, our first encounter with Barnabas. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. 
The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned. And he brought the money to the apostles. We encourage others by sharing what we had. Do you think this young New Testament church was encouraged by what these men did? You see, let me paint a picture of the situation that prompted this, this offering, this, this special giving, if you will. The situation was we're about six months on the other side of the uh, Pentecost, when 3,000 were added to the church in Jerusalem, and the church grew in great, rapid pace. There were people that came literally from all over the Roman Empire, Jews and converts to Judaism, who came to, to really uh, observe the Passover, but got much more in return. They got the New Testament church and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The problem was simply this. After they were baptized and converted, they didn't want to go home. Now, maybe you've had some relatives like this. They pack for a week, and they stay for six months. That's sort of the situation that's happening here. Uh, maybe they didn't want to go because they really wanted to sit at the apostles' feet and grow and mature. But we know that they all stayed because it took a great persecution to finally get them back to where they belonged in their different cities and places throughout the Roman Empire. We're talking about thousands of visitors here. And you know, after a week or two, the food runs out. The laundry has to be done. There are needs to be met. Jobs maybe aren't as plentiful. Maybe the economy's not that good. And so, in order to meet this great need of this thriving church, people gave. They sold real estate. They did whatever they had to do to provide for their new family, their new brothers and sisters. Seriously, can you really imagine this? I mean, my first thought, if I could just be so candid, is if a relative is living in my home and eating my food for about six months, my first thought's not going to be, I just got to tell you, what can I sell to get more food for them? <laughs> Honey, we have two cars. Maybe we should sell one to pay for your brother-in-law's eating here. That's just not going to be my first thought. Call me unspiritual. I'm just saying it's not going to be my first thought. And I doubt it's going to be yours either. I'd be dropping some serious hints here. 
And if I was in the New Testament church, I'd probably be quoting Matthew 28. Hey, go into all the world and preach the good news. Remember that one? That came before Acts 2. I'm just saying, I'd be dropping some serious hints. What's the parallel? Well, the parallel for us is we have such an opportunity upon us. We have family members that literally are in churches all over the world who can't even support a full-time minister. We have a church in Monterey that when we went down there to, to see and visit the church, learned that they had one guitar that we had given them last summer and it's being passed around to three regions. I don't know what your attitude is towards the upcoming contribution. But there's a great need. If you don't see what's going on right now in Russia and realize that the economy is in a free fall, literally because of the drop of oil and the aggression of Russia towards its neighbors, I don't think the need has ever been greater for the St. Petersburg family of churches. And I will just tell you, something's going to happen in the next few weeks as we get ready for the special contribution for missions. You're going to lose a transmission, some of you. You're going to have a tax bill that you thought was a refund and now you owe. You know, sort of like the seven dwarfs. I saw a bumper sticker once. I owe, I owe, I owe. It's off to work, I go. That may be where you're at. You, you, may, you may have all kinds of surprises. There may be great charities pleading on your heart to give to, great causes. Listen, be generous where you can be generous. But remember to seek first God's kingdom first. And remember that we have an obligation to especially those who belong to the family of believers. And the only way we can truly be successful is if everyone does their part. I had someone come up to me a week ago out of nowhere and says we ran into some extra money. We'd like to give $10,000 to Monterey. One of our most generous givers in our fellowship, if you can believe this, is a single mom. You see, when your heart is in the right place, God has a way of making up what is lacking. And the basic question is not, how much of our money should we give God? But the real question is, how much of God's money should we keep for ourselves? And I, uh, I can think of a few things that are more encouraging to our brothers and sisters, especially those in Mexico, especially those in Russia, especially the plantings that are going out in Texas and the strengthening of the Oklahoma City Church, then for all of us to understand that we encourage others by sharing what we have. The second thing I notice about Barnabas is we encourage others by believing in them. 
by believing in them. Look at Barnabas in action over in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. It says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but, hey, they were afraid of him. Can you blame them? They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they, they tried to murder him. I would say that's a convert last time I checked the definition of a disciple. But needless to say, Saul of Tarsus was probably the most unlikely candidate for Christianity. I doubt he wasn't on anyone's outreach list except for God's. He's coming back to Jerusalem literally because he's about to be murdered. And the disciples in Jerusalem, they want nothing to do with him. Can you imagine how discouraging, discouraging that would be? And not surprisingly, there's a brother who stands up for Paul, steps forward. Barnabas believes in him. And he goes and he stands before the leaders in the Jerusalem church, the apostles and others, and he says, this is a brother in Christ. This is a good man. God is using him powerfully. Don't you need people to believe in you? How do you feel when someone points out something you're growing in? How do you feel when you get a card of encouragement or a birthday wish on Facebook that's more than just happy birthday, but someone expresses what they appreciate about you in a sentence or two? I'm telling you guys, I am absolutely convinced that we minimize the importance of encouragement and we see it very, very differently than God sees it because of the lack of encouragement that often we don't participate in. Not sure I worded that correctly, but you get the point. We need to grow in our ability to encourage. And the amount of encouraging that we naturally do is our real belief in the importance of it. And how much we really believe it's necessary. Let me share another great story. Jackie Robertson. You know, made famous in the film 42. The first black man to play professional baseball. While breaking baseball's color barrier, you probably don't need to be reminded that he faced jeering crowds in every single stadium, every single game. That man's a hero to me. While playing one day in his home stadium for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he committed an error. 
That day, his own fans began to excessively ridicule him. He stood at second base, humiliated, while the fans jeered. Pee-wee Reese, pictured here with Jackie, came over in that game from shortstop and stood next to him. He put his arm around Jackie and faced the crowd, the home crowd of jeering fans until the fans grew quiet. Robinson would later say, quote, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. As you can see, they've even erected a statue to that moment. That's such a great story. Because we've all been there, haven't we, at some point in our life? In need of someone willing to face our problems with us. You know something you can't do? You can't tickle yourself. I read that, I didn't believe it, I tried it, and it doesn't work. You can't tickle yourself. Because your brain knows what you're doing, and so you don't get tickled. The point is, it's pretty hard to encourage yourself, too. I mean, you can dig into God's Word, you can build up your faith, but sometimes you get hit by that right hook or that left hook, and you absolutely need the encouragement of others. You need that timely phone call. I had one of my discipleship partners, Steve Hooper, call me this week. Steve called, it was really late at night, and I thought, well, Steve doesn't call that often, so I, I picked up and I said, there must be something important going on, and yeah, he just started talking and it became really clear he was just having a really challenging week at work. Anybody relate to that? And, uh, you know, he didn't need much for me other than just to do some listening. And I said at the end of that conversation, how about if we just have a prayer together? And we prayed on the phone. He expressed how much better he felt and how encouraged he was. Two days later, I had a little bit of minor surgery. And I had a biopsy done, and it was kind of brutal. I say minor surgery. It was sort of like being eaten by piranhas. One tiny bit at a time. And, you know, lo and behold, Steve sent me the most encouraging text. Brother, I've been praying for you. Watch you now. I'm really praying for the results. How are you doing? Let me know if you need anything. And it's really amazing how God has designed the body in a way that we just don't even think much about it. But we can be there for each other. We can encourage each other. And sometimes what people really just need is an arm around the shoulder. To say you're not going to go through this alone. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. In fact, we've got God with us. Let's go to Him together. 
And I am telling you, we encourage others by believing in them and lifting them up just as Barnabas did. Let's look at another example. I'm going to move to uh, number four for the uh, slide people. We encourage others by offering them a second chance. The second chance encouragement. In Acts chapter 15, it says, After some time Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. You know, a third way we encourage others is by offering the second chance. And the reason I feel like this one is so important is because I'm looking around at a lot of people who have needed a second chance. We all got the second chance when we became disciples. And we had our sins washed by the blood of Christ. But I've learned something about my 37 years as a disciple. I needed a few more second chances along the way. You know, it's been said America loves a good comeback story. I think the Lord's Church loves it even more. Yeah, you know, I look at Dale and Annie who we studied with. And I look at them and I think about how, I don't know, 12 years ago, they had a chance to respond to the Gospels. It didn't go real well. And it certainly wasn't all Dale and Annie's fault. Not by any means. But I remember one thing Dale told me the night we counted the cost last week. He says, you be sure and tell Todd, Assad, I'm getting baptized. Because he said, 12 years ago, I told Todd, I am never going to get baptized. Todd was at his baptism Wednesday night. And it wasn't, I told you so. It was, that's awesome, brother. But thank God, amen, for second chances. You know, I have to say this. I don't know what the situation was with John Mark. Maybe he was homesick, or maybe he was just too dangerous. And he left after part way through the first missionary journey. Maybe uh, something else happened, who knows. But Barnabas wants to take him on the second journey. And from this text, we see the argument with he and Paul was long and hard. It was a sharp dispute, the Bible says. I can only imagine the argument. 
I can imagine Barnabas reminding Paul of the times in his life that he needed a second chance. I can imagine Paul reminding Barnabas of Luke 9 about putting your hand to the plow and not looking back, being unfit for service. The result was Barnabas once again takes him under his wing. And John Mark, one of our gospel writers, was kept from being totally discouraged and humiliated. There were two mission teams instead of one that went out. And in the long run, Paul admitted Barnabas was right. Because as he sat in prison waiting to write his last letter, and as he begins to pen it, he says in 2 Timothy 4.11, Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Not many second chances exist in this world today. Just ask the parent of a divorce. Just ask the father who got a pink slip at work. Just ask the student who flunked their midterm. Not many second chances exist. But I want you to know in Christ, we have a second chance every day. We need... Brothers and sisters who are giving. We need brothers and sisters who will put their arm literally around us and help us face discouragement together. We need those to remind us that our life is not washed up and finished. As we close our thoughts... I want you to really evaluate, what kind of encourager am I really? What would my nickname be? Hopefully it wouldn't be Debbie Donner. I don't know how that translates in the Greek, son of Debbie, but uh, hopefully that's not you. You know, as you think about these self-evaluating questions how do you do when it comes to the ministry of encouragement questions like is it easy for me to praise to thank to affirm others I'm amazed at how difficult it can be for some people to give compliments to praise and affirm and build up others. Some of us are a little rusty at it. We need to get better at it. Some of us are really good at it, and we need to help others by modeling it. A second question is, would my family consider me to be an encouraging person? I really want to encourage you to ask your spouse this afternoon that question. Ask, if you're single, your roommates that question. 
Would my family consider me to be an encouraging person? It's a great question to ask your children as you raise them. Question number three as we evaluate our ability to encourage. Do my words of encouragement outweigh my words of correction or criticism? Man, the skills should not be like this, guys. It should be totally to the advantage of encouragement. I've changed more things in my life by someone believing in me, telling me I can do it. That Angela Dundee in the corner saying, get out there and don't stop until you're the champion of the world, than I ever have been by a rebuke or a correction, even when those were needed. The fourth question is, does my conversation with others generally build up... Or do I find my conversations with others tearing people down? And finally, number five, very simply put, do people become more cheerful when they're around me? Do people become more cheerful when they're around me? Thank God. For Barnabas. Thank God for the ministry of encouragement that we so desperately need in the community of believers. And I pray this morning that we will examine this area of our life and realize that we're getting slugged by the rights and the left hooks of Satan every week. We need to go to encourage and build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. I close with this thought. Charles Spurgeon visited a church member who was drifting, drifting from the fellowship. It was a cold day. So they were sitting around a fire. Spurgeon picked up a poker and stirred up the fire. He then pulled out a white hot ember and set it outside the fire on the hearth. Within just a few minutes, it had become black and cold. Much cooler than before. Then he replaced it, and amazingly it became red hot again. The man who had been wandering got the point. And you know what? I'm confident. So do you. Let's pray as we close our thoughts.